This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, I'm going to tell you the significance of Steve Miocic winning at UFC 252. Big John McCarthy joins us for an interview. We'll talk to him about some of the officiating stuff we saw over the weekend. Plus, we'll preview this weekend's Ryan Bader versus Vadim Nemkov fight in Bellator. And is it time to give Chito Vera some respect? You bet it is. We'll do that on today's show as well. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. My co-host on a different show, Brian Campbell, said he also thought that um, Stipe was the Lennox Lewis. And what did he mean by that? That he did have a couple of losses along the way, but he eventually just avenged them all. Now, if you look at Stipe's record, that's not totally true. What do I mean by that? Stipe has losses to Stefan Struve. He had a loss to JDS and to DC. The JDS one, he rebounded and stopped him like it was nothing in the second fight. And then DC, he beat him twice. The Stefan Struve win or loss, I should say, he can't get that win because it wouldn't even make sense to make the fight. So, like, technically, he doesn't have a rebound win over him, but the whole career is essentially a rebound from that performance is what it sort of shows. And that's what Lennox Lewis really was. He was the best of his generation in many ways, at least one of the best of his generations, but the, the generation. But the key was that he had avenged the losses. I have to tell you, I kind of said it earlier before. I'm, let me Let me... Stop talking about the eye pokes for just a second, because what really stands out to me is you fought three times. That means at a bare minimum, you had three first rounds. You had two second rounds. You had two third rounds. You had two fourth rounds and you had one fifth round. So the most you had of any of those rounds was the first. You had three of them. To me, those first rounds tell you the story of this trilogy first time out dc just did dc things i know he lost on saturday but i think we can all agree hell of a fighter knocked out stipe miocic basically with one shot you know follow up there too but more or less with one shot in the first round amazing fights him a second time not only loses the bout but in that first round dc won it 10-9 no question Took Stipe down in emphatic fashion. Remember, he picked him up and then slammed him and then rode control for basically three minutes, ground and pounding him, and the round ended there. Easy 10-9. But Stipe didn't get finished. It was closer this time. And in fact, of course, DC ultimately lost the bout. But I'm talking about the first rounds. Then in this one, you could have given the first round to DC if you wanted to by virtue of that one hard punch he landed that kind of stunned Stipe for just a moment. It was not a huge rock, you know, nothing like that. But he did, you know, he lost his balance for a split second, and then he was fine. Still, up to that point, what was happening? Stipe was winning that one walking away. And if you wanted to score it for Stipe, and I think many people did, two of the judges did, you could. The story of that fight is maybe Stipe had an off day or maybe when they fought, DC was just better. But over time, one guy caught up to and passed the other one. I think DC was just the better guy when they fought the first time. And I think DC was maybe the better guy when they fought the second time, but he wasn't really trying his hardest. 
You know, he was trying hard. Don't get me wrong, but you know, his coaches were imploring him to stick to the game plan and he wasn't doing it. And we've all been over the whole thing a million times. So Stipe, ever the opportunist, knocked him out. In the third fight, Cormier was really trying, and it didn't matter. Stipe was just better. He was just better. There's nothing else you can say. He was just better. He showed the most amount of improvement, and... When I say he made the most amount of adjustments, I'm not talking to him like he crazily redesigned his game and he was doing all this innovative new stuff. No, we talked about it last week. We talked about it last week. From going to a second to third fight, you are going to make some changes, but they're going to be slight. And my hunch was, and I think this was proven correct, You could go through the first and second fights and you could find things they did really well and bring them back. Here is what Stipe did. Number one, he built on the successes of the second fight. You saw some of those body shots. By the way, he adjusted them though. You notice he didn't go slightly under the the elbow into the liver, but he actually adjusted it over and went center line into the solar plexus of Stipe, excuse me, of DC. Same punch in terms of the way it looks but landing a little bit different. He stuck to the leg kick game, which I think paid a huge uh, dividend. He exited the clinch properly. Now, there was a couple times he nearly got caught in this one. Before, when he got caught, he was exiting to the right, uh, DC's right, and eating that right hand. In the second fight, he had adjusted exiting to DC's left hand. He did it again in this fight. DC had a hard time of making that clinch work for him. One of the big ones was, and we specifically went over this on my breakdown video last week. This is the one thing I feel very confident in getting right. Specifically, in the first fight, you notice something. Whenever those two locked up, they would go with Stipe would have a right-hand underhook, left hand of his own on DC's right hand. That makes sense, right? Because your right, if you're Stipe, is around the back and the waist of Cormier. Excuse me. And your left hand is controlling DC's dominant hand, which is his right. Almost like a dance partner. Think of it that way. And that was how he got knocked out. Because DC was able to eventually yank out his right hand and come over the top. What was one thing that Stipe did in the first fight that had great success? He did it a little bit in the second, but the first fight was where I saw more of it. Stipe was able to press DC into the fence and hold him there. Still with a right underhook left wrist control. But what you notice in the first fight is, if DC and Stipe were in open space, center of the cage, let's say. Dude, you're talking about a two-time member of the Olympic wrestling team, one-time captain. You know, it's not exactly uh, Greco-Roman, but, you know, that guy is going to have command of that position in ways that are going to be hard to control. Well, what if you had a wrestling buddy? Now how hard is he to control? A lot easier. Well, that's what the wall ends up being. In the first fight, Stipe would press DC into the fence, (coughs) excuse me, and had great success doing it. He brought that back here. 
the linear punches, which were a big win for him. A lot of times he was trying to go around the gloves of DC in the second one. Made him straight this time. Worked to a charm. And there was one other key. Stipe was really good about fainting and faking and then kind of blitzing and getting DC to go backwards as a consequence. How does DC dodge punches? You guys notice this? How does he dodge punches? He dodges it with big leans and trunk movement. He's rolling heavy to one side. He's rolling heavy to the other side. He is twisting his trunk side to side. You need space to do that, don't you? If you're leaning backwards and leaning kind of to one direction, you need full, I won't say 360 rotation, but you need a lot of room. Well, if you're in the center of the octagon, you've got plenty of room. Well, what if your back is against the wall? You can lean side to side, but you don't have the same mobility. Remember those two right hands that dropped him in the second round? Did you notice where they were? Miocic faked him backwards, fainted him backwards, blitzed into him. So now he is DC backwards. Now Stipe has collapsed the space. And on top of that, he did what Justin Gaethje did to Edson Barboza. He switched stances. Still hit him with the right hand, but did it from a southpaw stance. Did y'all see that? And that's how he dropped him. Which guy made more adjustments and more diligently applied the game plan? It's Stipe Miocic. It's just what it is. Stipe was asked about it. We have some audio. Speaking of that second round, he thinks if the round hadn't ended, because it was right at the moment there where the five minutes was expiring, I mean, there wasn't even going to be a round three. Let me hear Stipe cut three, please. If uh, round two hadn't have ended when it did, do you think you'd have finished it? Yes, 100% would have finished it. <clears throat> you can just tell by how hurt he was? Yeah, he, 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 he was stumbling. Just like in the last fight, the second fight in the fourth round, I had him in the same spot. He just, I rushed in too fast. I think if I would have sit back just a little bit, one step back, I think would have caught him. Did you think he was sort of still messed up in the beginning of round yeah, three? Yeah, he was. I could see it. That's why I kind of pushed it a little bit. But he also caught me in the first round. I was like trying to slip and he hit me in the back of the head. Not, it was you know, not intentional. It was just sounds about right to me the story of that contest you can see in the second you can see in the fifth you can see in other ones to me it's the three first rounds it's the one common denominator across the entire fight and what they show is unequivocally one guy caught up and then surpassed the other sometimes the tortoise does end up beating the hare this is Aussie Football Rules America with Eddie Maguire. One of my great mates, Russell Crowe. AFL goes great in America because it is a tactical game. It is a game that requires incredible skill and dexterity. You can see the moves of basketball in it. You can see so many areas of athletic prowess. Catch new episodes Thursdays at 6pm Eastern on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211 and listen at home with Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant or however you stream in the house. Commentator for Bellator, one of the longtime uh, pioneers of the sport. He joins us now on the phone. It is Big John McCarthy. Hi, Big John. How are you? What's up, Luke? How you doing, brother? Doing really well. Glad to get an opportunity to talk to you. Hey, first things first, you've been now doing a couple of these shows at the Mohegan Sun, and you've dealt with all the COVID protocol. What is your biggest takeaway about everything? What have you learned through this whole process? 
<laughs> that you have to change your entire mindset of what you know you are used to and what you can do. Everything has changed because there's so much concern about liability and the fact that if someone breaks the protocol that has been put in place, which is a very tight protocol, that they could be the person that, you know, takes and, and puts a downward spiral towards, you know, any sport getting back, not only fighting, not, not at only being Bellator or the UFC. So they take this very seriously and, you know, you've got to follow their protocols. And so sometimes just, you know, even the type of face mask you're wearing, they're now only allowing certain types of face masks that you can wear. So sometimes it's frustrating, but in the end you look and you say, I don't want to cause a problem for anybody else in them getting something based upon a decision that I made that wasn't right. So it's, it's tough. Well, so quickly, that's interesting. What is the, to your best of your knowledge, what is the rule about the face mask? Well, I mean, there's certain types of face masks that everyone, you know, they're, there's so many different types. You get the ones that, you know, people wear that are, you know, they tie behind the head, ones that go around the ears. Then you get the ones that are called neck gaiters that are kind of like a full sleeve that covers not only your face, but the back of your head too. Bandanas and a lot of those, they've come out and said, you can't have that type. Even the ones with the, the uh, some of the one-way valve respirators, uh, they're not allowing those. They're saying that those, some studies have come out saying that, that having those are, no, no better than not having anything at all. So, hmm. you know, they're limiting. When they get information, they change things weekly on what's allowed and what you can do. Keep your head on a swivel, Big John. That is the rule of life. I'm Man. sure you know that as well as I do. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. Uh, all right, Big John, Big John, let me tell you about an idea that I had. Tell me why it's a terrible idea because I'm sure that it is, but it was mine. Listen, I was watching um, this event this weekend, and, uh, you know, Mark Goddard, who I think is a great referee, he's, a, he's always in the – it feels like referees are in more difficult situations than ever. Maybe that's my imagination. I don't know. But in any event, there was an eye poke in the third round of the D.C. fight, and he didn't see it. Now, the rule in Nevada, I double-checked this, was if they want to, basically at any time, they can call pause. But uh, D.C. complained to him, and he said, no, it was a – it was a punch. Then after the fight, he checks it. And he's like, ah, you know, I got it wrong. And he apologized. And he put the statement out on um, social media. You know, for me, it's like, what more could you ask of the guy? He did what he thought was right. Here's my idea. In every other sport, Big John, literally, we had a person call in who does professional arm wrestling, told me they do this. They have multiple officiants working an event and uh, multiple refs that are umpires in baseball and American football and in basketball. And I understand the difference there. It's a bigger playing surface. It's more people. You just need more eyes and ears. Still, nevertheless, having somebody who is a dominant A referee in the cage and then a B referee who has all the access to technology so they know everything that the folks at home know and here's the kicker, Big John, when called upon or when actually not when called upon, rather, when they deem it necessary, the B referee can enter the cage to tell the A referee, hey, you should take a look at this. Why is my idea terrible? <laughs> because what we do is different than every other sport out there. And I'm not saying that your idea is completely terrible. I'm saying certain aspects of it would have to be worked out uh, to make it right for both athletes, because this is the, this is the scenario when you, when you saw what happened with DC and Stipe in that third round you, to, for someone to say, well, Mark Goddard should have seen it. Nice try. 
it's so hard to see everything that goes on in a fight. And in that situation, you have to, at that moment, actually be looking at, at DC's face. And that's just, you know, it's not possible to always say those things are going to work. The one thing that is different in Nevada, Nevada has the rule different than what is the unified rules when it comes to the use of instant replay. The use of instant replay in the state of Nevada can be utilized at any time that the referee feels that there was a possible foul or something that they want to go back and look at. The unified rules for instant replay will say that the the instant replay can only be used in a fight-ending sequence, meaning you think that something occurred, there's a possibility that a foul was what ended up hurting the opponent, and he went down, and then you ended up stopping the fight but the fight is over. Now you can go look at instant replay and make a judgment on was I correct or was I wrong? So in Nevada, what Mark Goddard could have done. And, you know, sometimes when you're working all of these different locations and the rules change, it becomes, it becomes tough to remember exactly what the rules are in one location compared to the other locations that you were just working. So the one thing that he could have done, is on the break, you know, he, he told DC, hey, you know, he thought it was a punch. And it's, it's easy to see when you watch it in slow motion on instant replay. It's not easy to see when it's done at real time. So it's understandable why it was missed. But when he tells DC, and he's not saying sit down to like be a big, you know, a dad to him and, and to put him in his place. He's saying it because he wants him to be worked on by the cut man and he knows the longer he stands and argues with him, that's less time for the cut man and his people to work with him. So he gets to that point where he tells DC, go ahead and sit down. And he walks out to show me that instant replay while the break is taking place. And he quickly sees, Nope, it was an eye poke. He lets the break go to its natural conclusion. He kicks everybody out of the ring and he calls time at the end of that break. And he starts to go towards D.C. He'll bring in a ringside position and give D.C. time to clear out his vision. Even though he just had a minute, I'll give you more time now because it was a foul that created a situation that puts you at a disadvantage. Hmm. That's what Mark could have done. And that's what you're saying, a, you know, the, the off-referee being outside can then go and tell Mark during the break, Hey, this is a, this is what occurred. And Mark would have that information. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good idea. And it's something that we have even discussed before. The problem is the, the rule, even that Nevada has, has its downside too, because if you and I are fighting and you hit me with a beautiful shot, we'll say right to, you know, the solar plex area. And I go, Oh, and I bend over like I get hit to the groin and the referee stops the fight, right, and thinks, you know what, maybe that wasn't good. That was a good shot, and now we have a timeout, and he goes over and he looks at that instant replay, and then he comes back and says, no, that was a good shot. Look who was put in a bad position. You had the ability to possibly be in a fight-ending sequence based upon a clean legal shot. I fake the fact that it was low. He buys into it. Now he sees it's good. We got a problem. Hmm. So that's interesting, but you know, 
there's good and bad in everything, Luke. You know, it, you can come up with one thing and it's good for a situation. You can look at it in another situation. You can go, yeah, it's not going to work. And, that, and that's going to cause a problem in the fight as far as taking away an advantage that a fighter gains. Because everything in fighting is not like football or baseball or basketball. Fighting's about damage. And, and the advantages you make during that contest, similar to what you know, Stipe did to DC in the second round, he was losing that round. And then he hurts him. He has an advantage. He goes after him, and the round stops taking away that advantage. But that's the time limit. Okay, but this is what a fighter is going through in a fight, and those moments you can't just take away from them and think it's okay. It's not. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I was also just thinking in my mind. I'm sure you saw it on DAZN. There was a boxing fight, and uh, the re- the guy takes a hellacious punch. I mean, he is all all but done, and the referee sort of turned and saw it only when because it was like a leaping punch. Only when it looked yeah. like from his vantage point, like I'm not even mad at him. It looked like the shoulder knocked it down. And then, oh, my goodness, it was, you know, the guy fought two more rounds after being concussed. And I'm like, I'm not worried about the result. Oh, DC should win. Should be no contest. Stipe should win. I'm just thinking about, you know, DC's eye or that fighter's brain. What are some way, What are some interventions that we could think of? Um, that could get us closer to protecting them. Cause that, dude, that's a hard job to watch what all these guys are doing in every way. It's just, you can't be omnicompetent, John. And I'm thinking to myself, how can we help them? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And there, there are, you know, certain ways that maybe we can, you know, I would say the first thing change the damn gloves, you know? This, yeah. This what do you, what do you make of that? To, eh, let's, let's just be honest. It's very simple for, you know, a big promotion to say, you know what? I don't like the gloves that you're manufacturing for me. In fact, I'm not going to use them until you change them. What do you think that manufacturer is going to do, Luke? He's going to change them. But until such time, why is he going to change things, have to do, you know, different setups, different, you know, you know, machinery to make things bend a certain way. But the gloves, especially the gloves, you know, in the UFC, they are a straight out, you know, they, they make you as a fighter, squeeze your hand. You've got to think about squeezing your hand together to make it. It's very simple for your hand to go straight out because that's the natural position that the glove makes your hand go to. We need to have it where the glove is a curved glove and you have to actually think about making your hand go straight and you got to work towards making your hand go straight. I think it would help a lot in not alleviating all. You're never going to alleviate all, but it would help in alleviating a lot of the eye pokes that we see. No doubt about it. Um, Big John, I got to tell you, I'm really enjoying the three-man booth there. You and Josh. I know Josh previously was sort of doing some of the Bellatory European shows. And now for these, uh, the last two ones, uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I feel like it's the last two ones you guys have done. It's the three-man booth. Boy, he has really come into his own as a commentator, hasn't he? He's done fantastic. He's doing so good. And we have a very good relationship and, you know, we work together on a podcast and you know, we just get along very well. So it's easy to throw things off of him to set him up for something. He does the same for me in return. And, you know, he knows the sport so well, he's just doing a fantastic job. 
Yeah, you guys have a great rapport, and I'm really glad to hear it. All right, let's talk about this this weekend. You are so you're back at Mohegan Sun again, man. The uh, they don't I stop did. cracking the whip on you. Uh, okay, here was my belief about Ryan Bader and Vadim Nemkov. And your mileage may vary, John. If you disagree, by all means, say so. But for me, right. I feel like this is Ryan Bader's toughest fight to date in Bellator. Where are you on that? I think you're exactly right. No doubt about it. I think that. Uh, the guy he's facing right now is the most dangerous opponent in every aspect that Ryan Bader has faced. Obviously, Phil Davis is an outstanding fighter, and he's right there. But Vadim Nemkov does certain things incredibly well. He's got kicks from all angles. He's got heavy, heavy right hand. He's got very good wrestling. He transitions from one element to the next incredibly well. He's young. He now has a very good gas tank. All the things you go, check, check, check in those boxes, <laughs> he's filling those boxes. No doubt about it. And the Combat Sambo World Championship background, he, he had gold medals 2014, 15, 17, and 19. Uh, you know, just an absolutely uh, dominant force. So let me ask you, like, do you, Ryan Bader's in his late 30s and yet still appears to be making gains in terms of talent. 37 years old, he's born in 1983. Like, where would you, how, how do I ask this exactly? How is it still possible he's in his late 30s and still refining his game in the way that he is? You know, I think a lot of it, Luke, has to do with not so much when you started the sport, it's when you started learning the sport. There's a difference because Ryan Bader came into the sport. He was a pure wrestler. He's a very athletic guy, very strong, good, fast twitch, but he was a wrestler. And he lived based upon his wrestling and taking someone down and mauling them on the ground. You watch what Ryan Bader does now. His stand-up is completely different. His footwork is different. Everything that he does in the stand-up game, he is a different fighter since he's come over to Bellator than what he was doing when he was fighting in the UFC. His, uh, his power is better. His ability to make people bite on his feints and his, he sets traps for them now and they fall for the traps. And then it's also, he still has that big blast double, but when he gets somebody to the ground now, He's a completely different fighter. You watch what Ryan does in taking away base points from his opponent. He takes away the arm that they're trying to post with. He'll take and he'll, he'll actually pick up a leg and set it on top of his leg to control the swing leg so they can't get up. And he sits there and does damage, pounding on him with a ground and pound. Everything he's doing is completely different than what he did in the past. He has learned how to be the complete fighter. And with his, you know, strength that he has already, you add all those things together. That's why he's been the dominant fighter he's been for the last, you know, four or five years. This guy's work cut out for him, though, on, on uh, Saturday against Nemkov. And then more than that, he has now, it looks like, Corey Anderson will probably cross paths with him at some point. I got to tell you, people don't realize Corey Anderson, look, he's had some ups, he's had some downs. He is only, Big John, he is only 30 years old. That's it. Yep. He still has a lot of yep. life left in him. Oh, he's got a whole lot of tread on the tire, man. And you know, you're absolutely right about that, Luke. But 
you know, it's funny because Corey and Ryan have trained together. They've trained together for fights. Ryan brought Corey in when he was going to fight Phil Davis, and they spent, you know, a camp together. So they have a familiarity with each other and what the other guy is good at and what they, what, you know, they could possibly think are the weaknesses. But, you know, Corey Anderson, if you go back and you watch Corey's fight, you know, he's only really fought in the UFC, and I did a several of his fights. But when you when you see Corey, and he is within himself, not trying to get rid of somebody fast, not trying to push the pace on something, just allowing the fight to come to him, he does extremely well. It's always when Corey is trying to push that envelope, trying to make something happen when it doesn't need to happen right now. As a fighter, the one thing that's one of the hardest things to learn is I don't have to win every second or every minute of the fight. I just have to win the fight. And uh, there are those moments where you know, this is when I turn it on, this is when I relax. Corey is now in that position. I think he's, he gets that. He knows that. And it's a matter of letting the fight come to him because he has all the talent in the world. He's a good wrestler. His stand-up under Mark Henry his stand-up is really good. It's only when he makes technical mistakes and overextends that he sometimes can get in trouble. All right, last question for you. And again, just to correct the record, Bellator 244 will be August 21st, which is a Friday. This Friday, uh, Ryan Bader putting his title up for grabs at light heavyweight against Vadim Nemkov, be on Paramount and DAZN. Last question for you, Big John. I, could, I have the power to make you king for a day in the world of combat sports officiating, right? And as such, you get to be... A, you get one. You get one change on one day. It could be a change to the way we ref, change to the way we judge, a change to something. You get to make one of them. What is the change that you make? Oh man, I'll tell you what. There, there's there's several changes, but the one I'm going to make right away is the one that I think will help the sport the most. It will help the people that are uh, officiating the sport, and that is I would change the actual scoring system of the fights themselves. Right now, I think we have a, a system, and Herb Dean said this best because I was talking with him about it, and he's the one that came up with this you know, uh, acronym towards it basically was, he goes, can you imagine trying to be a carpenter and make a piece of furniture when your tape measure only has one-inch marks? There's no sixteenths, eighths, quarters, or halves. And so you've got to make a quality piece of furniture just with those one-inch marks. Well, that's what we're doing to our judges when it comes to judging a fight, when I have to give a 10-9, 10-9, or 10-8, and I have a very, very close round, and I give that 10-9, but then the next round isn't close. But it, and so I have one fighter who's actually winning the fight, but my fight looks like it's even on the cards. We need to do something that's going to change what our judges can do to differentiate who's winning the fight and why. Hmm. Love the answer. All right, Big John, looking forward to your call. Safe travels, safe mask wearing, and the whole nine yards. Can't wait to hear everything and see it Thank August you, 21st at the Mohegan Sun, Bellator 244. Thank you so much. Thank you, Luke. You take care. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts.
What did you guys make of the co-main event between Sean O'Malley and Chito Vera? Is that a legitimate win? Or does the UFC need to run that back because they have unfinished business? Let me tell you what, I, I ran through a series of views on this. It, in real time, it was kind of hard for me to make out exactly what had happened. Hello, that's why we need replay. But at first, I thought, you know, maybe something had happened where, yeah, he got kicked or checked or something, but it was somewhat accidental. And at the win, you know, by Chito, I mean, it's not his fault that it went that way. I mean, you can't blame him. But I don't know how much he is the architect of Sugar Sean's downfall. And so I thought, you know what? You really got to run that one back. That one's just not quite, it's just not quite accurate. And then I rewatched it a bunch of times. And like you guys, I did come up with sort of two takeaways. One, really would have liked to have seen that from multiple angles. I told you guys before, apparently the NHL is doing this too. But the NBA, because there's no fans, they can have a bunch of new extra camera positions. And so they're showing the games in new ways. And it would have been nice to have seen that from more than one angle, the, the kick at 254 of the first round and that elbow over the top. You only saw it from one angle. So, like, did he go out from it? it, it he certainly took a hard shot. About that, there can be no denying. But I don't know how hard. You know, it's uh, what effect did it really have? So that stands out to me too. But that's not really what I wanted to focus on. What I wanted to focus on was the legitimacy of the win. And at first I thought, hey, not Cheeto's fault, but you probably got to run that one back. You know, it just seemed like crazy sort of set of accidental circumstances. And, you know, maybe he was injured before the fight and something just happened and that's that. But after reviewing what available evidence we have, I don't really feel that way, to be honest with you. Now, we don't have the full-on medical diagnosis from Sean at this point. We've not heard his perspective. I do think that that matters. What he has to say has to stand. It's part of the record. It's part of the story. a very good kicker, you know. That's how he started my career. You can play that. Go ahead. I see myself as a, as a very good kicker, you know. That's how I started my career. I, I was, you know, throwing a lot of kicks back in the day. Now I'm putting it together, my boxing and everything. But I, now watching the video, I throw a hard calf kick. And after I throw a calf kick, his, his nerve just, just, you know, shit happens, you know. The same way Chandler got with Primus and my, my, my boy Alex Perez beat Formiga, you know. He kicked me really hard in the leg, but, you know, my shit is stronger than his. Right, so I come away with two conclusions. I didn't look to me like a calf kick, but again, the camera angle's not great. But at 254, Cheeto lands a hard leg kick. And in landing that hard leg kick, uh, about a few seconds later, not even a couple of seconds later, you notice that he can't really stand on it the way he used to. Phone, gentlemen. He can't do the things he was previously doing. He's rolling it. The front of it is falling, like the instep is falling like to the mat. And he rolls it a couple of times. He tries to thug it out to his credit. He tries to move around the octagon and stick and move and all that kind of stuff. But he can't really do it, not very effectively. Cheeto is now beginning to march him down. Eventually, he tries to throw something. It was either a punch or a kick. I can't remember. And then he falls. Cheeto gets on top, lands a hard punch, and then lands an absolute hammer 
of an elbow, huge elbow, and Herb Dean stepped in there. Now, either way to me, that stoppage is justified. When I say either way, what do I mean? One, he went out, in which case you have to stop it. Two, he didn't, and Herb saw that, well, he didn't go out, but that was a hard shot. He's not defending himself, and he appears to have some other kind of injury. Either way, that's a good stoppage from Herb. Like, no problems. Okay? None. And you'll notice um, O'Malley didn't protest. Took it in stride. Right? I mean, that's supposed to count for something. So then I began to think to myself, well, wait a second. Is this like, uh, you heard Chito say it there, is this like Brent Primus and Michael Chandler? Is this like Henry Cejudo and Demetrius Johnson or Alex Perez and, and Juicier Formiga? Is that what's happening here? And I can't say that with 100% certainty that's what happened here. But I got to tell you, it sure looks that way. Did we not tell you last week that, yes, Sean O'Malley is super talented. I don't think any part of that is changed. When he can do his razzle-dazzle and he's moving and he's bouncing and, and everything else, dude, he is amazing. But there's a question now about, one, what is his capacity to take damage? Is he going to have chronic injuries on that right side? This is the same leg in, uh, that was injured in the Sukumtot fight. Maybe a different injury, but same leg. You know, you have to be durable. And you can say what you want about Chito Vera. He took Lineker's best punches and was on his feet the whole time. I mean, he's a tough guy. And this was the other part about Chito Vera that I tried to warn everybody about. Now, I know I picked O'Malley. I'll eat the L there. Again, I do him for fun. I don't really ever know who's going to win. But I was pretty clear about the warnings, too. Dude, Chito Vera is talented. He is not a scrub. Now, could he beat O'Malley the same way if they fought three more times? I don't know. This one seems, I won't call it flukish, but hard to reproduce. You know, seems like this won't happen every time he fights. But there might be a question now of not everybody, and I'm saying every like physical, corporeal body, sustains damage the same way. Some are better than others. I said this before, we have a tight end in Washington, D.C. He's gone now. I think he plays for the 49ers, so he reunited with Kyle Shanahan. Jordan Reed was one of our tight ends here for a long time. Man, when the guy was healthy, he was quick, great hands, amazing route running. He was one of Kirk Cousins' top you know, uh, passing threats. But he could not stay healthy. He had concussions, and his knees were blown out, and his back was messed up, and his ribs would get jacked, and then the shoulder was injured. The dude just did not sustain injury well. And, you know, Rob Gronkowski had a million injuries, too, as a tight end, but he was still able to get out there and play to a high level. Some people just tolerate injury better than others. So am I declaring to you that Sean O'Malley can't sustain injury? That is not what I'm telling you. But it is an open question. It is something to pay attention to going forward because it does not matter how talented you are if you can't absorb the damage you know, there's only going to be so much you can do. Not saying he has a bad chin. I don't think he has a bad chin. I'm talking about like the ribs or the back or in this particular case, the legs. How does he sustain injury there? Not everyone is born with the ability to resist injury as well as the other one. And for Chito Vera, dude, you got, I'm telling you, he's only 27. He's only two years older than Sean O'Malley. And he hasn't shown the quite of you know the same kind of flash that Sean has shown, but you know what he's been doing? Been fighting in the trenches.
you know, he, his bona fides there are not to be questioned. So to me, that win is clean. There's nothing wrong with that win. You want to run it back because, hey, Cheeto thinks he likes his chances and he likes the halo effect of having Sean, you know, and his popularity raise his profile. Sure. But to run it back because the win's not legitimate. Sorry, I don't agree with that at all. That's a legitimate win. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.